Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. As psychologists and therapists, we usually care a great deal about inclusivity, and we spend lots of time in training and service planning thinking about how we can make sure our work is accessible to the people who need it. However, in my experience, we often don't put as much thought into our marketing and teaching resources. Many mental health accounts on social media, for example, fail to fully represent the people that are following that account. And most of them are making content which is completely inaccessible to people with visual or hearing impairments. It's even worse in the world of online courses. A lot of online courses are totally inaccessible to people with learning difficulties like dyslexia or colour blindness. Since so much of our marketing and our teaching is now being done online, I think it's well worth spending time thinking about how we can make sure anything that we put out there, whether it's intended to be marketing materials or psychoeducation materials, anything we put out there, we should be making sure that it's inclusive and accessible to all the people who could benefit from it. And thankfully, there are loads of resources all over the web to help us do exactly that. So we really don't have any excuses anymore. In this episode, I'm going to outline some basic principles and I'm gonna link to the best resources that I've found to support you in making your marketing and your educational materials as inclusive as possible. I'm not an expert on these topics by a long stretch, but I have found some really helpful resources. And it was actually while I was researching for my new online course uh, for our membership, which is called The Roadmap to a Successful Online Course, a little bit meta, um, that I came across a lot of the resources that I'm going to link to today. So all of the resources I talk about will be linked to in the show notes of this episode so you can find them there because I'm always looking to try and make sure that the materials that I create are as inclusive or accessible as possible. And I wanted to make sure that in my latest online course about creating online courses, we had a module dedicated to exactly that because I've actually not found that information um, in many other courses that I've done about course creation or online teaching. So if you are planning to add an online course into your psychology or therapy practice, then do think about coming and checking out the roadmap. It sits at the center of our monthly membership and it will take you from your very first idea for a course right the way through to getting it in front of the people who need it. And unlike most of the online course creation courses out there, we do think about stuff like this. We think about the way that we're we're teaching our material to help people get the most benefit out of it. Okay, so the first thing we need to be thinking about is creating resources that our audience can relate to. So making sure that all of the images and stories that we use to illustrate our point on social media or in our teaching really reflect the range of people that we're serving with that piece of content. So I've talked in previous episodes about the idea of having a representative group of ideal clients in mind when you're creating your marketing and educational materials. 
If you haven't yet listened to the Ideal Client Avatar episode, I really recommend going back and listening to that one. I've linked to it in the show notes for you so you can find it easily. Because I really try to have different members of my Ideal Client group in mind as I create my resources. And I try to make sure that there are images and stories that help each of those people in that representative group to really see themselves in what I'm teaching or talking about. So if you're training professionals, that could include sharing relevant stories from the different groups that you have in the room. So for example, you might have mental health nurses, psychotherapists and psychologists in the room with you. And you'd want to include stories that reflect all of those groups. Um, As well, of course, as the characteristics that you'd usually think about when we're talking about inclusivity, like race, gender identity and socioeconomic background. In our previous episode on writing for your marketing, I talk about a test that I use before I include stories in my resources, and that includes an inclusivity check. So it's worth going back and checking that episode out too if you've not listened yet. Um, The link for that one is also in the show notes. I really think that we have a responsibility to be anti-racist in our approach to content creation, which means being mindful even when we're not creating posts specifically about race. I'm still learning on this topic, which is why I don't talk about it that much on this podcast. Um, But I wanted to share with you that I found a blog from Sprout Social that gives some ideas for making sure that your content is anti-racist in a helpful way, um, which I... I will link to in the show notes because it's really helped me to see how my my general content creation can can be anti-racist. Amnesty have also produced a simple guide to creating resources that are respectful of all gender identities that I think is very useful and I've linked to that in the show notes too. One tip I've also picked up from Amnesty is that that is specific to online teaching is that Zoom will now allow you to specify your pronouns before your name when you join a call. And I think that's a really good way of making it safe for your attendees to do the same if they want to without putting any pressure on them to do so if they don't feel safe or they don't feel ready to do that. Um, so that's a quick tip that we can take away. But anti-racism and being respectful of all gender identities are things I don't feel expert on at all but thankfully there are some really good resources to help us along the way. It's also really important and this is the second big topic we're going to cover today to make sure that our materials are accessible to people with impaired hearing. Subtitles on all videos are really important for people with impaired hearing um, and there are lots of tools now that will help us to do that Uh, for free or you can use some paid tools that make it a bit easier. So an example of a free tool is that you can upload a video to YouTube and it will automatically generate captions for you. However, this is something that I actually think is worth spending some money on. If I had no budget for my social media at all, um, apart from a couple of quid, I would spend it on getting captions done (laughs) Um, to make sure that you get it done right in the shortest amount of time possible, because it can be really time consuming and it can be super faffy with the free tools, if I'm honest. So for my lessons, for my online courses, which are about 90 minutes, I personally get captions generated by Rev.com, which costs about a pound a minute. So I'm paying about 90 quid for each of my lessons. 
I then review them to make sure that there are no glaring errors. Um, or sometimes I ask my editor to do the reviewing because I'm so rubbish at, uh, at noticing errors. And then they automatically appear on my Vimeo videos. Um, and it's Vimeo that I use to host the videos on my website. So basically, it's all kind of done for me. Um, if you're posting to another platform, you can still use a free tool like Capwing to burn your rev captions onto your video. Um, or you can upload them separately to places like Facebook. For social media videos, I do often use the free auto-generated captions that Facebook produces because you can now edit those. But to be honest, they're still quite glitchy. So if a video is really important, um, like I want to use it for an ad or I'm hoping lots of people are going to see it, then I tend to use something like Zubtitle with a Z to add my captions myself as it's easier to edit them in there. And you can also use that tool to resize the video and make sure the captions appear in the right place for the platform that you're using. So again, if I want it done right, I'll usually pay for it. <laughs> um, so I've linked to all the resources that I've mentioned just there in the show notes to this episode so that you can go and check them out. I'm not an affiliate for any of them. It's just that I, I use them and I find them really helpful. It's also important to create trans transcripts of any longer content, particularly of audio, audio content uh, for people with impaired hearing. Um, and it's easy to generate those using tools like rev.com or otter.ai. And both of those are tools that you have to pay for. But anyone who did a dissertation that involved transcription will know that having to edit uh, an AI generated transcript word by word is just impossible or awful. I mean, in fact, when I did my dissertation, I used a pedal and actually typed it all out myself. Um, I don't think that I would create very much content if I knew I had to do that every time um, because it was really seriously aversive. <laughs> I've done it and it's painful. So I'd much rather pay and I'd get a better quality output in minutes. So that's very much my recommendation to you. Don't make life harder than it needs to be. Just pay for your transcripts. It'll free up time to make more money in your business in a different way. The next really important thing that we all should be doing is adding alt text to our images. Alt text is the stuff that's read by screen readers, which help visually impaired people by speaking out loud the content of websites, including social media platforms. So in the show notes, I've linked to a blog from Harvard University, which gives some more in-depth guidance about how we can add alt text, including the best way to describe complex images that we might be using, like graphs or charts. But essentially, the, the most important principle is to think about what somebody who can't see needs to know about the image that you've put on the page. And that means that we need to put it into context. For example, I have in the past been quite guilty of forgetting to put context into my alt text. Um, so if I have a Facebook icon, my alt text needs to state the purpose of that icon. So in the past, I might have just put Facebook icon as the alt text. However, if the context is that people are meant to click on that icon to go to my Facebook community, I need to put that in the alt text so that a visually impaired person knows to click on it. And you can now add alt text to social media images really easily. And I only found out about this recently 
Uh, but it's really important that we start doing it. So I'm really glad to see that all the platforms that I use anyway have started to make it much easier for creators to do that. So I'll run through very briefly now how you do it. But basically, when you add a photo or image on Facebook, you can go to the edit feature feature and save your alt text there. And I'll link to a blog and a video that shows you exactly how to do that in the show notes. The alt text feature is in advanced settings after you've edited your photo on Instagram. So nice and easy to find there as well. And you can also add descriptions to your images when using Twitter by simply clicking add a description when you upload the image, which again, it couldn't be more straightforward really. And then finally, LinkedIn have also made it really easy. So when you click to edit your image at the top right of the image, there's an option to add a description right there. So I have put links to videos and blogs that walk you through this step by step. Uh, you can also do it on scheduling tools. So there really is no excuse for us to be creating images on social media that don't have alt text. So tip four, the fourth thing for us to think about is being mindful of dyslexia when we create our resources. And this is really important, again, on social media or any of our educational resources. And the British Dyslexia Association have created a style guide to help us with this. It's very detailed, but it's easy to follow. So I've linked to that in the show notes and I wouldn't be without it now. Um, I'm not gonna list everything out here, but some key points that I hadn't considered before were using sans serif fonts like Arial and Comic Sans, rather than the ones that have the curly bits on the end like Times New Roman using line spacing of at least 1.5 and a text size of at least 12 and making sure that you avoid having headings all in capital letters and watch out for that because that's the default in a lot of Canva templates and on some um, WordPress themes as well. And making sure that we left align rather than justify text, which again, sometimes we have to undo a bit of our previous learning for that and using short blocks of text when, um, with lots of subheadings where possible, and keeping black text on white backgrounds to an absolute minimum because that causes a lot of glare, which is difficult for people. Uh, another thing that we need to be mindful of is color blindness. And I have to say, I really didn't know much about color blindness before I started researching uh, for the complete roadmap to a successful online course. It actually isn't something that I've ever considered in any of my designs uh, before. But um, what I've come across is a site called We Are Colorblind, who've produced a really useful summary of available resources. So I've linked to that in the show notes. And the two basic principles I've pulled out from their stuff so far are to avoid green and red and to make sure that there's sufficient contrast between colours. And on that site, they also mention some helpful tools that allow you to check your design and check that it's got sufficient contrast. Um, and those seem really useful. Uh, but as I mentioned, this is something I haven't thought about much before. Um, so I haven't tried those yet. So if you do, please let me know which ones you like best and I will update this episode with some recommendations that have been tried and tested. So finally, I wanted to say a little bit about responding to feedback. I think it's really important to ask for feedback 
and to respond to what people tell you with an open mind rather than being defensive. And that can be really, really hard, especially for us, because we tend to be perfectionists and we tend to be people pleasers. So it can really hurt when we're told that we failed in our attempts to be inclusive, because often it means a lot to us and we do actually put quite a lot of effort into it. But sometimes we will miss the mark and we really have to move past that discomfort and tolerate it um, so that we can we can learn to do this stuff better. So if somebody tells you that something you've created wasn't inclusive, what I've learned is not to defend it. I've learned not to talk about my intentions. I've learned just to agree to investigate it and then get opinions from people that I respect supervisors, colleagues, experts through lived experience, and then change it if needed based on all of that feedback taken together. And be kind to yourself in that process. I used to really beat myself up when I found that something I'd created wasn't inclusive, but actually not every piece of content you create will be 100% inclusive because you aren't perfect and no piece of content will ever be perfect either. Sometimes you're gonna to need to create different forms of content to reach different people with the same learning, learning point or objective. And actually that's not a bad thing. And our episode on creating engaging online courses covered why that's quite a good idea anyway, as people like learning in different formats. So it's not a bad thing if you have to create a couple of pieces of content on the same learning point. And as long as you apply effort to learning to be more inclusive and you're doing your best to follow these principles in everything that you produce, you will have a good base to grow from as you develop your courses and your marketing efforts. As ever, I would love to know if this episode has helped you, if you feel it's going to make any kind of an impact on the way that you create your marketing resources or your educational materials. So do give me some feedback over at Rosie Gilderthorpe on Instagram or in our free Facebook community, the Do More Than Therapy community. Do you dream of creating an online course? Are you desperate to reach more people, but skeptical that you can actually make it work? The truth is a lot of online courses made by psychologists and therapists do fail. But that isn't because the content is bad. It's because the marketing strategy sucks. And the truth is your marketing isn't a separate thing. Talking to the community that you want to serve should be part of the development of the course getting to know them, giving them free resources and building relationships while you build your course in the background is the key to success that most psychologists and therapists miss. Well, not you, <laughs> because you can download my free course creation guide and get yourself on the right track to creating a course that people actually want and need. The guide talks you through the first essential steps that you must take when planning your course so you can avoid the expensive mistakes that I see so many well-intentioned people making. Get yours at psychologybusinessschool.com now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. 
I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy. Therapy.